You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin our proceedings here today by calling in the spirits. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. Not to all of them, but to those who lived well and died well and completed their journey all the way out of the land of the living to the land of the dead and have returned to us as true ancestral helping spirits. And I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to help us to understand more deeply the big picture of the world in which we live. I call out to those ancestors all the way back to the first people, those who lived in very, very different times and yet were challenged by exactly the same challenge that face us today, being human. And I call out to these ancestors to help us today to truly understand the nature of our existence and the importance of our heart in the center of all things. So I call out to those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our lines. And I call out to those who lived well and died well on whose shoulders we stand. I call out to them to be with us here today to gather around and to help us, the living, do what we have come here to do. And with the ancestors gathering round us here today, I invite us all to send our energy from our heads to our hearts and our hearts to our bellies and our bellies down into the earth, all the way down into the very center of the earth to connect there with the earth itself. And I invite you to send a pulse of loving energy from your heart to give gratitude for the miracle of your life, for the wonder of being alive at this time on this planet for the fact that you've brought into this life a soul's purpose and for the awesome, awesome possibility of actually using your heart to love and to be kind and to find the courage to bring that soul's purpose into the world. It's a great and amazing dream the earth has dreamt of life that we are a manifestation of. And we give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming and the wisdom that she shares with us in every day all around us which is the wisdom of manifestation, how to live here in form in a good way. And so we call out to the earth and we draw the energy of the earth up, up through our feet, into our bodies, up into our bellies, our hearts and our minds. And we send the earth energy all the way up, out the top of our head, up through the sky, whatever the sky might be doing around you today, up through the sky, out through the weather found there, out through the atmosphere and into the cosmos and all the way to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name you understand or know that power, call out to it. Take a moment to see yourself reflected in it and it reflected in you and to draw this energy down, down through all the layers of the sky into the top of your head, from your head to your heart and your heart to your belly and send this energy all the way down to the center of the earth. And with the earth energy connected above and the above energy connected below, allow your awareness to focus into your belly and open your inner awareness so that you could feel that dance of life between the big yin and the big yang, the earth and sky dancing within you and the great Tao from which all this experience of form was born. And with that energy profoundly moving and dancing and embracing within you, allow the spirit of your heart to be awakened. And we call out to the spirit of the heart to do what it uniquely is designed to do, that great crucible of change and transformation that can hold the fiery passions of the belly, that hold in them the knowing of our soul's true purpose of why we are here and the desire, the great desire to manifest this as the art of our life. 
We call up those energies from the belly into the heart, and we draw down the clarity that comes from the mind, the crystal, pristine beauty of the snowflake that comes down from the mind that helps us understand how are we going to do this. We draw these energies down into the crucible of the heart and invite the heart to do what it does so that we may feel the tension of these two energies, distinctly different and yet together as a whole, and giving birth to our soul's true purpose. And may you find in your heart the courage to live that purpose in some way today and in all the days that follow. So we give thanks to the energy of the heart the earth below, the sky above, and the ancestors gathered around us. And I give special thanks to um, Olivia and Stefan, Malama, Christy, and all of the listeners who have um, donated to the show in this past week. If this show has been meaningful to you in any way, know that you are able to donate if you choose to easily over the internet. If you're comfortable with that, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com. And go to the support button and click there. Donate any amount, large or small, in any currency. It's all um, deeply and greatly appreciated. And it all goes to keeping the show on the air and keeping the shows in the archives. And if you're not comfortable paying over the internet, that's perfectly fine. You are welcome to... um, Email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org and I'd be happy to give you a physical address to mail um, your donations to. So if you are not able to donate, please, if this show moves you in any way in the heart, even if it moves you to irritation and distraction or moves you into inspiration and loving kindness, however it moves you in the heart, I encourage you to do that fundamental act of shamanism, which is to allow your actions to be motivated by what is going on in your heart in a good way and to do something to help the show to grow. Send me questions, send me show ideas, guest ideas, um, anything that allows the show to stay alive and vital and relevant to you as the people here on the planet, all over the planet, who are actually practicing shamanism. Humbly in your own way of living, maybe as a practitioner, maybe as a teacher, um, but however it is that you practice, we want this show to be relevant to our time. So thank you all for all that you are doing to keep the show alive and well and vital. So our topic today, which I realize we didn't let any of you know on time because I've been a bit beside myself getting ready for our grand opening here in Portland, Uh, but our show today is, um, the title is that our answers lie in oneness. And we are live for this show. And if you have any questions about the show, hopefully it will provoke you maybe to questions that um, come up as you listen to the show later. Um, please feel free to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. Um, you can call in directly if your questions crystallize in the moment. You can call in and ask your question at 512-772-1938 as long as your question is actually about the show's topic. Or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Um, so there are many ways for you to connect with us, and I hope that you will. And I hope that... Um, The topic of today's show lives uh, within you and provokes you to think and to act. It's very um, important at this time on the planet that we all um, expand our awareness to something larger than ourselves. Okay, so uh, many of you know, actually, from listening to the show, if you've been listening to the show, you would know that I am recently back from two weeks away studying Shenzhen Gong in um, an international group of practitioners in Croatia. Uh, This retreat happened to be in Croatia. The center is not in Croatia. And we were studying with um, Master Li, who is from China. And we, my partner and I, were one of only two Amer- uh, two of only three Americans there. And... um, the group of over 50 people were from many, many, uh, I can't remember, 10 or 12, 13, 14 countries. I can't remember how many countries were represented there. It was a very international group. And we were all gathered there to practice this particular uh, type of Qigong called Shengzhen, which translates to sacred truth. And the particular sacred truth that Master Li is endeavoring for us to cultivate and focus on is the sacred truth of unconditional love. And the intent of these Qigong forms is to cultivate an open heart. 
And by cultivating an open heart, we then have the possibility to experience oneness. And oneness is in this teaching is both where we came from. It is the big picture of now. And it is where we are going. It is the source. And it is the ultimate um, destination in the end. So oneness is, um, in Master Lee's words, oneness is the big picture most of us have forgotten. And he speaks so beautifully about how we came out of the beginning of things from nothingness into form, into this experience of form. And, and this experience of form continues to express in greater and greater detail, greater and greater um, depth and clarity of expression, and that all of this is actually exquisitely beautiful. And what has happened in the experience of that is we have gotten distracted and lost our simultaneous awareness of the big picture and our simultaneous awareness of oneness. So for example, so that's masterly. What I would say is, for example... We have the world, humanity has manifest many beautiful world religions. And yet many people have used these world religions in their, in their losing focus on the big picture of oneness. They have used their religion to justify their fighting against others, their stance of us and them, their right to end the lives of others. And that this is always a travesty because it's usually an extremely deep misunderstanding of the religion itself. Um, But it is a deep forgetting of the oneness from which we all came, in which we are all living, and where we are all going. And so Master Lee talks about one, uh, the love that the forms are intended to cultivate as not being selfish love. And it, It's always interesting listening to someone who is speaking English as like a third or fourth or fifth language because the use of it is so intriguing and um, and sort of fearless in a sense. Um, And his his absolute fearless use of unconditional love, which I find um, trite and um, meaningless now in the U.S. after decades of the New Ageisms. And yet he uses it with such conviction. And he, and he speaks with such conviction about the need to grow out of selfish love because it is selfish love that makes people greedy. Whether you love your home, whether you love your nation, whether you love your car, whether you love your wife, he says none of this matters. It's all selfish love. And when we are awash in selfish love, we forget the oneness. We forget the bigger experience of love. And we forget the larger um, focus, which is the larger reason that we are here. And I've recently spoken with a couple people that want to do private work with me. And, and um, what's been interesting about the, 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 the theme here with these people is that they're all very much immersed in selfish love in their life and not terribly mature spiritually. And if anyone has paid any attention to even like four of my radio shows or read anything on the website, they know that you should not even bother talking to me if you're not committed to developing yourself in spiritual maturity. I don't give a shit about consciousness in terms of enlightenment I mean, where has seeking enlightenment gotten humanity at this point? We're not ready, people. Why are we not ready? We're not ready because we're immature. We're spiritually immature. And this is what I really look for in students, especially someone who's asking me to work privately with them, is true spiritual maturity and the desire to use shamanic skills to manifest the soul's purpose from a very mature place. And that maturity means we've grown out of the selfish love that all teenagers go through. And you have to go through it. But you're supposed to go through it, people, and move on and not be so selfishly in love with your things and your family and your country that you cannot open up to the oneness of all things and understand 
that everybody's supposed to love their country and their wife and their family and their people. And so given that, how do we love each other equally? Accepting that diversity and that difference. Anyway, I'm digressing here right at the beginning of the show. But the point is, Master Lee spoke really beautifully about selfish love. And that selfish love is often what is rationalizing people's choices of greed, of corruption, of um, jealousy and envy and anger. And the things that justify people's behavior that um, degrades the quality of the oneness. The essence of that oneness gets torn apart by our choices and our decisions. Um, Anyway. So clearly, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you can see why I'm drawn to the study of the Shengzhen Gong forms, that Master Li's philosophy is completely aligned, which is not even aligned. It's exactly the same as what I've learned from spirit and what has become the heart of my shamanic practice and my teachings. And that, uh, and, and frankly, has come from simply living a life and trying to pay attention somehow understanding that we're actually supposed to be paying attention and in doing so we'll live our life differently and somehow that evolved into everything else we have before us now but anyway my point is obviously the teachings of the philosophy and the um yeah the philosophy of these practices and the philosophy of my own work and my own life Um, synergize with each other and resonate with each other. So with that said, right after we got back from two weeks of Qigong, um, 10 time zones away from Portland, we are back here in lovely Portland, Oregon, having our grand opening of our garden healing sanctuary here at Whole Being Health in Portland. And my partner and I have been um, several years in the physical manifestation of this dream. And we are deeply grateful for the students and the people that have come to the classes here and, and, and helped us in the actual manifestation of that dream. Within that, there has been the desire, though, to anchor the dream, to ground it, to root it here on this land, in this place, and to create the structures that would support the that dream, the actions of that dream. So that would be... Each of us as practitioners having our, our um, private spaces to work one-on-one with people as well as the classroom space. We also have a waiting room. But, but to have a sanctuary. So it's basically a.k.a. our backyard. But, but it's been shaped into a sanctuary that has our private spaces, raised garden beds, and shrines. Each of the elemental shrines is here uh, permanently um, built into the design of this um, garden healing sanctuary. So on Sunday, like two days ago, we had the grand opening. And one of the things about not only physical manifestation, but marking physical manifestation, it's a very important piece of warriorship. And I've talked about this before, so I promise not to get distracted. But one of the important things about physical manifestation and celebrating it, marking it, acknowledging it, is that the very act in and of itself allows you to move on uh, to become aware of the next thing. And it's as if until it's made, taken form, you don't get to be aware of the next thing. And this is one of the things I actually look for when I'm working with people around manifesting a new job or a new whatever is how delusional they are in their thinking, how far ahead of themselves they've gotten. And what I mean by that is how far ahead their thinking has gotten from their physical manifestation. Okay, so anyway, I'm not going to get distracted by this. Let me just repeat. The act of physical manifestation itself allows you to move on, to become aware of the next thing, and, it, and frankly, to receive the next messages from spirit. One of the main reasons people don't get all the clarity they want, they haven't done anything yet. And spirit's like, look, I am not wasting any more good answers on you until you actually get off your ass and do something, manifest something manifest a step in the process. So anyway, big deal, manifestation, not getting distracted by that. So at the gathering, 
uh, we had this amazing, lovely weather we weren't supposed to have. And so we're festooned with flowers. Every part of the um, sanctuary has got its party dress on with flowers everywhere. And there's people coming and this lovely food. And it's great. And so I had this opportunity to talk um, with many people I've never met about what I feel is unique about my teachings or my perspective on shamanism, what is shamanism, why does it matter to me, why are we doing this, (laughs) those kinds of questions, because it's an open house. There's people coming in from many different finding their way to our garden sanctuary. So I found myself again and again through the day talking about the daily practice of shamanism. Not my workshops, not my teachings, but the daily practice of shamanism and what it means to me to to meet the challenge of how we live shamanically in our contemporary lives. And what I see around me, and I know for much of the training I received, well, for all of the training I received from other people, not from the spirit world, but from people, is that there is no practice There's interesting journeys to take. There's things I learn. There's maybe another workshop coming up. But there is no practice in any real sense. And and I don't mean do you journey every day. I don't journey every day. I've never been able to journey every day. I'm actually somewhat envious of those people that are capable of journeying every day. I don't journey every day. But that's not what I mean. I mean living the life. So in most trainings, there's no real practice. There's no requirement. There's no request. There's no guidance. There's no expectation that you're going to change your life in any way other than to start journeying, other than to go to spirit for answers. Now, that is not a small thing. And shifting your awareness to actually go to spirit for answers in and of itself is huge. And I am not dismissing that. That one thing can change your life. And what I heard, I didn't say that once in the whole gathering, which surprised me as I reflected back on the day. What I talked about was living shamanically. How do we root our many practices, our many different teachings, our many different things that we've experienced in our everyday contemporary life and begin to change the way that we parent the way that we go to work, what we do at work, how we work, what work we do. How do we live differently so that we begin to make better quality choices in life, that we begin to manifest through our actions each day a different world? Because I don't know about you people, even with all the workshops that I teach, I still spend more time in my everyday life than I spend in a workshop. So that means I am manifesting more in my everyday life than I do in the workshops. And I imagine with you who are not teaching workshops are spending even less time in workshops. So what matters, where the oneness matters, is how we bring it into our daily life. How we live shamanically in our contemporary times. And so for my sense, most practices have no, I mean, most trainings about shamanism have no practices in that way. Um, as, a, as a shamanic um, healing, a healer, as a shamanic healer and as a teacher and as a community visionary and as a radio host, I have to have an energy practice that cultivates the very energy that I am using in to sustain me in the healing work that I am teaching about, that I am guiding my community to manifest, and that I am talking about with you every week. That this idea, which we learn in, the, in some basic trainings of shamanism, that if you're doing your shamanic healing correctly, the spirits are doing the work. That's true. In the few hours a week, you're doing shamanic healing. What about the rest of your life? Where is the oneness? How do those very same helping spirits affect the rest of your life? So for me, shamanism isn't really about journeying. It becomes less and less about journeying. Not that it becomes less and less about listening to spirit. But what I understand now is that my shamanism 
is infused in everything. And I'm not journeying all the time. So for me, shamanism is about living the oneness that the spirit world always comes back to at the very essence of their answers. For me, even at the essence of people's healing, I'm not a psych... Okay. In my healing with people, my interpretation is very shamanic. It's not that I don't understand psychology, and I, and I do. And I do understand the psychological interpretation of how people are where they are and why they are where they are and what the psychological insight is. And I don't dismiss that. However, what I learn from working with people from spirit is that our soul loss comes from where we are stepping away from the oneness where we step away from the deeper truth of who we are. And that happens. And it can be repaired. But it's not really about our psychology. The psychology or the distortion to our psychology happens later as an effect of or as a result of the fact that we've lost our connection to oneness and to the practices that go with oneness, the practice of living with an open heart. And the practice of living from a place of being in love. And I've talked about this many times on the show. Being in love is a state of being. It's got absolutely nothing to do with whether there's another person out there that you're in love with. Because it's not about anybody else. It's about your relationship with yourself and your life and the bigger picture. And that all of those things line up when they all can be described as being in love, not in your idea, only in your mind, but in your, your felt experience in your heart and how you experience that in your body and how you function in the day. So this is the bigger vision then. It isn't about, so for me, shamanism isn't about your healing that you might receive from me, although I'm happy to do that. And it isn't even about, I used to say that it was about my expression of my soul's purpose. So to be a teacher and a shamanic healer was the best expression of my soul's purpose, and that's why I was doing it. Well, that was true, but it was also a very, a less mature awareness of what I was doing. But that was 20 years ago, and, you know, I'm trying to do my work too. So it is those things. It is about your healing. It it is about my expression of my soul's purpose. So it is those things, but it isn't about those things. It's about doing those things or whatever things you're doing in a way that connects you to the larger reality. That reality of oneness and the need to be in love with all things. Now, the trickiness there, this is my little sidebar, trickiness there is that for most people, being in love is a pretty dysfunctional process. It's enormously codependent and it involves very crappy boundaries. So for us to actually experience what I'm talking about, we need to clean up our mess. We need to clean up our idea of what being in love should feel like, does feel like, could feel like. And that begins with your energy practices. Go to the archives. Find the show about your grounding, about your boundaries, about protection, about your energy body. That our ability to be in this non-selfish, non-dysfunctional, non-codependent state of love requires work on most of our parts to get to a place where we can experience what Master Lee was talking about, what I believe the spirits are talking about all the time when I work with people and in my own work with them. That we are here for greater things than selfish love, crappy boundaries, and no vision of where love could take us. Love is, defies all qualifications, which is why I don't like the term unconditional love. That I believe that love is our destiny. It is our reality. It is what we are made of. It is what the universe is made of. That that energy that everything's made of, that everything is the same thing that we are made of, that our thoughts are made of, our body is made of, our heart is made of, our emotions are made of. All that energy that's really all the same thing because there's really only energy here. That's the oneness. It's also the love. 
And we have the capacity, truly, we have the capacity to get the hell out of the way and experience that greatness, that vastness, that oneness with all things, not just in our hour-long meditation practice, but bringing the results of that meditation from our mind into our heart, into the energy of our body, for me, the value of Qigong, and then into our life, in everything that we do. What is the value of your meditation practice if it does not then infuse everything in your life? What is the value of your shamanic practice and the answers in your journeys if that connection does not infuse everything in your life? So, my shamanic practice is about your healing and my healing and expression of my soul's purpose, but it isn't only those things. It is about the oneness and the need to be in love with all things, the beautiful and the ugly, the terribly painful and the ecstatic. It is about also my responsibility uh, as something, as a being that profoundly affects the quality of the oneness at all times. So it's not just about oneness. But once we accept oneness as the bigger picture, there is a responsibility there. It's an understanding of that responsibility as someone who is manifesting reality with that oneness. I have a responsibility. And this is what makes the fourth year of the cycle teaching so unique and so very, very rare out there. Is that the fourth year is really about how do we use shamanic skills to interface directly with the oneness directly with the dream that is dreaming reality into existence. How do we work with the oneness? How do we come to be part of that co-creative relationship consciously and intentionally? And it shows up only in the fourth year. No people, I am not going to teach this part separate from the four-year trainings because it is showing up in the fourth year because I've had at least four years and the spirit world has had at least four years to try to get you to a place of consciousness and maturity so that you can handle those teachings with responsibility. That there's the precise reason that it's in the fourth year. Um, that you have cultivated yourself at that point to be in love with yourself, with others, with the environment, with the spirit world, to come into right relationship with this, these things, with the elements, to have learned from all of these things, how to truly surrender to your true nature. And your true nature is not only your unique true nature, but it is also to be in love. That's what you're made of. That's what you're part of in the oneness. And so we come to the teachings, these profound shamanic teachings of the fourth year, ideally from having cultivated that place within ourselves. So it isn't the bigger vision or the self-cultivation. It's both. And my partner and I have been talking about this quite a bit actually since we've returned because we've been talking about, so when did you finally click in to the, to the actual discipline for the self-cultivation? You know, what happened on your journey to make you finally make that leap? Because people are seekers. Pe- people today sample this, sample that. They flit around. They're people that actually just want to study with all the different shamanic teachers and just check them off the list. So it's this vast horizontal spread of energy, but nothing goes terribly deep. So he and I have been talking about what, what was it that, that struck like lightning and made you go deeper and finally accept the discipline necessary for that self-cultivation? There is no self-cultivation without discipline because there's no freedom without real discipline because these two exist in a, in a relationship of complementary dualism. Right? The other piece of the, of the question, though, has been, so what brought you to the understanding of the big vision? 
and this is perhaps the greatest uniqueness in Master Lee's forms, is they are, are about the cultivation of your heart to open, to be part of the manifestation of that big vision of oneness. And to do that consciously and to not focus on martial training or various and sundry other things that happen um, in these uh, practices of Qigong, Tai Chi, and martial arts. But to, to use these trainings to bring us to a place of inner cultivation that we can be a responsible part of the oneness and vice versa. And so this is the thing that my partner and I have been talking about because they exist, the personal the personal cultivation and the and the cultivation of our relationship with the oneness also happen in this kind of complementary dualism. There, there, it doesn't really matter whether you come in through a great aha moment around oneness or you come in through a great aha moment around your personal practice. That ultimately both are necessary, and ultimately both must be cultivated and grow together. And, and, and allowed to do what they're doing naturally, they would grow together. So there's a really big and right here with this whole piece that I've been talking about. The fourth year and learning how to work with a oneness. And this is very interesting. It's very cool. And personal cultivation and discipline and the oneness and all this piece. There's a great big and right here. And. To remain ignorant, willfully ignorant of our oneness is a profound abuse of power. So this ignorance, this willful ignorance is found all around us. Because you know as well as I do, many of you better than I do. The spirits have been teaching us about oneness from forever. The mystical poets have been talking about oneness. That humanity has been being taught about oneness from the beginning. In fact, my senses, shamanic cultures understood this better than we did. So we actually manifested it more clearly in the past. And yet here we are, poised in a time of great change, with our pants down, people, because we're children. And so this is this opportunity to grow up. Because to remain willfully ignorant of the oneness and to not take responsibility for what it means to be part of that oneness is an enormous, gross, a gross abuse of power. To just keep seeking to flit from flower to flower like a bumblebee. You're not a bumblebee. If you were supposed to seek and flit from flower to flower, you would have come here as a hummingbird, which would be very cool, or a bumblebee. But you didn't. You're a person. You're listening to a podcast. You came here to take responsibility for your place in the fabric of the universe, to live the life you came here to live, to cultivate yourself so that you can connect with the oneness and allow the oneness to restore you and to bring you back to your true nature so that you can remember why you are here. To remain willfully ignorant of this is a great abuse of power. And so we see this all around us. We see this in fundamental thinking, whether it's the conservatives or the liberals, whether it's religious or secular, that fundamental thinking is a way of thinking about things. It's not what you're thinking about. It's the way you think about it. And it is deeply, deeply damaging. It's any kind of us-them thinking. You know, my soccer team and their soccer team, right? It's about jealousy, envy, and the gossip And the nastiness that happens, it's these vile Twitter activities that happen, these these horrible things that people say because they can now, because they don't have to say it to anybody's face. It's all happening electronically. It is your sense that you have enemies. And it is even in this, this, this ignorance of oneness is even in your precious issues. That are your reason why you can't do X, Y, Z in your life. That these are all manifestations of our willful ignorance of oneness. And this is just the short list. This is just what I could figure out today in the aftermath of the great opening, right? But each of these is a way that we rationalize stepping out of oneness and our responsibility 
stepping out of our responsibility as a person who affects the quality of that oneness. So all of these ways of thinking show an ignorance and a denial of our true state, our true nature, our true oneness with all things. So for me, there is the practice. There is Sheng Zheng Gong. There have been other practices. And I don't know whether there will be more. There's a, there's a lot of room for me to grow in these practices, so I don't know. But the point is, for now, this allows me to grow in my practices, to cultivate my open heart and to cultivate my ability to connect into the oneness and to make me better able to offer that in all that I do. So for me, there are the cycle teachings as a direct way for me to interface with contemporary people. What do contemporary people need to know from our ancient shamanic practices to engage their heart, their mind, their body, their spirit in their true soul's purpose in a way that is connected not selfishly in the love of that purpose but in giving that purpose out to the world from this greater awareness of the oneness of all things. And so for me, there's the practice of shamanism as a way of living my life that occurs in the context and in the actions that I take in the role of the shaman in doing healing work. But I do all of this as well, um, to, to do any of this well, any of this that I'm doing as a healer, as a teacher, talking to you on the radio, any of this, loving my partner, um, tending my garden, to do any of this well, um, and to actually do it shamanically, I must surrender what it is to be a contemporary person and all of the things that I think that I know. And return to oneness, not as a meditation destination, or not only as a meditation destination, but as the reality of the bigger picture of life. If I am going to say that I am living shamanically, that I must live from a core belief of oneness, not separation. Now, for me, this shows up in a very, very practical way, and it is my constant critique or criticism of shamanism as it's manifest primarily in the U.S. because that's all I really know about. And so let me say this more directly. In my experience, teaching people the shamanic healing forms after they have learned to live shamanically, matured spiritually, and opened their heart is really, really easy. In fact, these, these same people, left to their own devices, uh, once they're actually living shamanically, they would likely reinvent the healing forms without my help teaching them, just by listening to spirit. Conversely, teaching people to live shamanically after they have learned the shamanic healing forms and been certified and thus think they are shamans is really, really hard. Because the cup is full at that point. There is no place for the teachings of what it means to live shamanically. So we all, as the contemporary people of the planet, need to get a grip on the simple fact that one isn't shamanic. No matter how many techniques you've learned, how many people you've studied with, how much money you have spent traveling to work with indigenous practitioners, one is not shamanic until we have surrendered all beliefs based in separation and returned to oneness returned to the complementary dualism of nature and life and found the courage to live that fact uh, from a whole heart, from open-heartedness in life. So this is why the courageous heart teachings have emerged out of the cycle teachings because it became clear to me that, in, that we are simply not shamanic people until we have surrendered the lie of separation that lives in our heart. We have been taught in many, many ways, some just by osmosis of growing up in the Western world, particularly America, that we are not shamanic until we sur surrender that separateness and draw the reality of oneness within, 
let it resonate with the truth that we find there and live from that place. So what does it really mean to live shamanically? I may say that all the time. I say that probably every week. What does it mean to live shamanically? At the core, it has nothing to do with your techniques. It has nothing to do with whether you actually have learned yet to journey. Although that is the first thing that I teach people. At the core of what it means to live shamanically is to completely depossess yourself of the big lie the lie of separation, that it is the root, at the root, of our great world religions, our great world cultures that are now dominating humanity around the globe. And I don't mean dominating necessarily as overpowering, but I mean dominance in terms of the numbers, the spread, the the force of these cultures and these religions in shaping people's ways of thinking about the world. And they are all based on separation. And so if we follow... If we ask our helping spirits to take us to the source of problems in our cultures all around the world, not just America, any cultures, the source of our economic problems, the source of banks and the way that they function, the source of anything, we ultimately will go back, we'll find ourselves back at the live separation. And that is why I believe truly that our answers that the new answers that are going to come in at a level of consciousness above the level the problems were created, the answer will come when oneness dwells in our heart, when we have the courage to open our hearts, to release like the great, dark, evil thing that it is, the lie of separation from our hearts, the lie that we are separate from God, that the body and spirit are separate, that spirit is somehow separate from nature. All of these lies of separation that lead to all of those ways of thinking, that lead to all of those ways of acting, that lead to our disconnection from the oneness. That what it means to live shamanically is to give the oneness that place to live in our heart, in the center of everything, to depossess ourselves, of the lie of separation and to let the truth of the oneness flourish in our heart, to strengthen our heart there. Those of you that have done the Courageous Heart workshops with me, that's what lives in the center chamber. It's oneness. And so to live shamanically means to cultivate that oneness and to work actively with spirit to do so because there are certainly other ways of living that can cultivate the oneness that don't involve working with spirit directly, which would not be shamanic. But if you believe that you are living shamanically, that you are a shamanic practitioner, that you are practicing shamanism in some way, that you consider yourself aligned, then you must depossess yourself of the lie of separation and open your heart to oneness and to cultivate that. Now, because oneness is not the general perspective, even here in Portland, It's absolutely necessary for me to cultivate the oneness. So that's why the Shengjian practices. So the cultivation of oneness requires not only the meditation and the connecting with it and allowing it to infuse all things, to feel that reality and to feel the resonance of that reality with our truth cord, but to cultivate um, an open heart and that that requires because it's not necessarily what everybody at work is asking you to do what your family is asking you to do what your friends are asking you to do that to cultivate an open heart takes some discipline takes some skills and some practices and a great desire to do so because when we start to cultivate an open heart we find all of the things trapped in our heart that we didn't know about because our heart wasn't open in the first place. And so for me, though I do love these practices of Shenzhen, Gong, I actually believe that if we're going to get anywhere soon, that we need to also have clearing practices 
to be able to clear energy. It is not enough to understand them psychologically. It is not enough to have our helping spirits apply the salve on the wound. It is our requirement as people that understand we are part of that oneness and part of manifesting that oneness to release the energies that hold us separate, to release those energies we find in the heart that hold us separate from oneness with ourself, which keeps us separate then from oneness with others and leads to the whole cascade that we've already talked about. So one of the things that I brought back from this experience in Croatia was the experience of being without the phone, without email, and without my computer. And from that, I was left uh, to extend myself actually, physically, in the moment, into the experience of community, which is always an experience for an introvert, a true introvert like myself. And nonetheless, as challenging as that is for me, uh, nonetheless, it was one of the most profound parts of this experience of being with a re- truly great master, with a beautiful heart, wonderful teachings, doing the practices in a room full of people in a beautiful place where we swam in the Adriatic Sea every evening after practicing all day before dinner. Everyone's cooking for us. I mean, if it wasn't for mosquitoes, I don't know what I would have done. But anyway, my point is that this experience of community literal, factual, physical, hug them, um, sweat on them, be with them, community, endeavor to try to communicate with them because they don't speak your own language kind of community, um, was deeply restorative. Now understand that though technology often and daily frustrates me, My community would not exist without it. My community is national and somewhat international. We never even began to take shape until the um, advent of um, email in people's personal lives. People always had the phone. Did they use it? No. Did they use email? Yes. And so from email, then we have uh, conference calls. We have base camp for the community work that we do together. We have tele-seminar classes within the community and et cetera, et cetera, all the way out to these podcasts. So my life is – I wouldn't have my community in the way that it has taken shape and form. But part of my experience over the time – the two weeks, was the ability to contemplate the energies of false community. Just like false yin and false yang, false community depletes us. Spending hours clicking likes and scooting around on Facebook makes most people exhausted. And so what we want to look at as we're, as we're looking at moving towards the actual living in oneness is the cultivation of true community. A true community in the sense that it nourishes. Um, now, communities shape around different ideals. So now a community that's going to shape itself around fundamental ideals may not be nourishing ultimately because fundamentalism is not nourishing ultimately. However, if we're talking about communities um, such as Shenzhen or Last Mass Center, uh, Last Mass Community, that th- these um, – These are communities gathered around the practice of cultivating an open heart and experiencing the daily restoring presence of oneness and and that that in and of itself is a nourishing experience. So one of the things we need to prepare ourselves for if we are going to live in oneness, live with an awareness of oneness, not separateness, is how to be in community in a good way, even us introverts need to understand that and to, and to come to understand that living in community is, can be nourishing. But beyond that, just like we need to be responsible to being part of the oneness, we can't be just in ignorance of that, that we also need to understand that there is a responsibility to community. Once we understand oneness, we understand there is a responsibility to community, a responsibility to cultivating the communities that cultivate oneness. Um, 
And within this, then, I'm editing a little bit here as we're running out of time. Uh, within this, there, there's a lot of teaching around community from the past. So I want to share this quote with you about community. That there are some also who, either from zeal in attending to their own business, like your soul's purpose. I added that part. So I'll start again. There are some also who, either from zeal in attending to their own business or through some sort of aversion to their fellow man, claim that they are occupied solely with their own affairs, without seeming to themselves to do anyone any injury. But while they steer clear of one kind of injustice, they fall into another. They are traitors to social life, for they contribute to it none of their interest, none of their effort, and none of their means. So this was written back in 44 BC by Marcus Tilius Cicero, but it applies today, and this is one of the most profound hurdles we had to get over in Last Mass Community, is the understanding that to withhold ourselves from community and from the larger community is a kind of injustice. And what I would say, which is too big for most people to actually practice, but what I would say is your soul's purpose is required for the quality of the fabric of the universe to weave itself in a good way. And what that means is you should feel pressured to live your soul's purpose in every way possible. And to do this, we must live from a place of oneness in our hearts, not separation, and to let that loving energy in our heart expand out, roll those gifts of your soul's purpose out, and to work with spirit to support us in the actual manifestation of those gifts. And to do so is going to require a couple things. That it will require that we get over our intolerance of the complexity of the psyche, of the truth found in paradox, and that we get over our intolerance of strong passions within ourselves that seem to contradict. This was referred to by Jung as neurotic one-sidedness, and it is completely contradictory to the need for us, if we are to understand oneness, to understand the complementary dualism of the nature of our world of our physical, of our experience here manifest in form. So it will require that we open our hearts so that we can be tolerant of what we have been intolerant of, so that we can become aware of what we have been ignorant of. And these things, to sustain these things, will require practice. And so I ask you what, this is my challenge here at the end of this show, what does your practice cultivate? And many of you say, what practice? But your practice is whatever you do every day. Each of you has a practice. Are you conscious of your practice? Are you intentional in your choice of your practice? So to live from a place of oneness and to be part of the answers that humanity needs at this time, we must cultivate love in our heart. And to do that, we must cultivate a practice and from that practice of open-heartedness we must cultivate tolerance we must cultivate humor we must cultivate the capacity to hold within ourselves the tension of complementary dualisms and allow them to give birth to new things in life and that ultimately we must actually believe in love so I'll end here today with some words of a much uh, wiser person than myself. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. That is why right, temporarily defeated, is stronger than evil triumphant. And these are the words of Martin Luther King, Jr., so thank you everyone for listening today. We give thanks to the ancestors for gathering around us, to the earth below and the sky above, to the great beauty of life these two create for us, and for the heart uh, here in the center that unites us all. Next week, I will uh, still the clamor of listeners and do a three-week series um, 
on advancing your journey skills. Next, the first part one will be about crafting powerful journey questions, and then we'll move on um, to develop the art of um, shamanic journeying. So thank you all for being with me here this week, and have a great week.